0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check
1: out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocals of Friptopsy, and you're listening to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you've had a great weekend. I hope you had a chance to sit back and relax and to bask in the heat that has just overtaken our 2020 summer so far. We had fun. We relaxed. It was great. This past Friday, I was super stoked to be a part of the Decibel Magazine initiative, the Get Behind the Mask initiative. I was amongst 140 other metal musicians who photographed themselves wearing a mask to show that you could be a metalhead and still be cool because some people believe that is not possible. I can tell you that it is. If you want shows to come back In 2021, if you want it to happen hypothetically sooner than that, start wearing a mask when you're in public places, people. It's something that I believe in, and it's something that you should, too. On today's episode, I am with Albert Mudrian, the editor-in-chief of Decibel Magazine. Here it is, Vox and Hops, episode number 163. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, okay, what's up everyone? Today I'm with Albert Mudrian, the editor-in-chief of Decibel Magazine. I am super stoked to be with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me to talk about some uh, some metal, some craft beer. It is a, a great honor, and I truly appreciate it. How are you doing?
0: Uh, I am well, man, and it is my pleasure to be here. Um, you know, wherever here is at this point, uh, here is inside, um, in my home, in everybody's everybody's homes is where most people are these days so uh this is a nice uh, reprieve from uh from everything else going on at the moment it is trying times
1: (laughs) (laughs) let's tackle that question just to get out of the way before we can start having some fun uh i've spoken to a lot of artists uh during the quarantine time and like me a lot of artists tend to be introverts so we don't necessarily mind being on our own, but how how have you coped with social isolation?
0: Oh, no problem. Uh, <laughs> but I, I've been working from home f- since um, about the end of 2008. Oh, cool. So, you know, for me, it's been the uh, it's it's more the lack of isolation now because I am now home every day with my wife and our, our two young children. Um, so. I mean, it's obviously great to get to spend more time with them that I wouldn't get, but it, there's a certain unnatural element of attempting to work an eight, nine, 10 hour day, um, while they're here, you know, you, you feel like you start to kind of feel like you're not doing either, uh, either your family or your work justice in some ways, because you're, you're just, your attention is just split constantly back and forth between things. So in, in that sense, um, that, that's more the difficulty for me rather than, you know, not interacting with friends and extended family. Um, because I'm, you know, the industry that I'm in, the industry that you're in, there's like a lot of, there's a lot of, there's regular contact, um, in terms of emails, texts, calls, video chats, whatever, like everybody's, everybody's always chatting, I guess, to begin with. So I feel like I haven't lost that connection to people. I do miss hanging out with friends. You know, I miss like, um, going out to a brewery and just like sitting down and and hanging out or that experience. But I know that it's just a temporary thing. So it's a lot easier to just reconcile that than to think that this, just no longer is a possibility. I mean, it will be a possibility again someday, so it's as long as you know as long as everybody that um, I'm close to is is healthy, uh, for me it's like okay, we can we'll just wait this out kind of thing you know
1: that's all we have to do right now, and uh luckily, here in Montreal, they have opened some of the craft beer bars, and earlier this week, I went and had a pint for the first time in a long time at a craft beer bar of course uh, social distancing applied i was uh, alone on a terrace on a patio with my family it was
0: a uh, a nice nice feeling yeah i bet i i i i and i think that's i think that stuff is good i think that i think places with outdoor seating um like i encourage people like go because it's good for I feel like it's good for people's mental states to get out there and and experience that and just be like, just kind of take that, that breath. Like, Oh, okay. All right. I remember, I remember what this is. Yeah. It's different. Like it's not going to be a packed room and it's not going to be a super social event, but it's, I mean, it's obviously great for the, for the breweries so they can continue to exist, uh, that they have extra income coming in, not just, um, with shipping and curbside and delivery and stuff that they actually have some taproom income. Um, so yeah, like if you can get out and support it and you're comfortable with it and you have that um, you have that local brewery that has the outdoor seating and is is behaving responsibly, then all for it, obviously. That's awesome.
1: Absolutely. And it is something that I'm struggling with this the deconfinement after being i you know i was a studious high school student i followed the rules i got into metal late into my life so i wasn't a rebellious teen to say so after being told to stay inside for so long and now they're loosening the the, the strings up here in montreal at least i'm struggling with it i, I don't know what to do <laughs> but i couldn't stop from going to drink a craft beer on the first day that they opened <laughs>
0: that's great Now i think you'll I, and i i think there's a there's a much like drinking craft beer there 's a pacing element to things where obviously you don 't want to just like jump all the way in. I think that I think it makes sense for people to take these kind of tentative steps and I think that's I, and I think if people do that, we'll be much better off in the long run rather than oh, uh, you know they started opening stuff, so I guess everything is you know back to normal, which is just not going to be the case for a while but um, there is there are there are levels of of things um in this process and phases and if you can kind of work through them and slowly ramp up and then you know if things get a little hairy like you know bring it back in i think that i think that people are, will also um anticipate an ebb and flow of that over the next i would say i'm honestly this is basically through the end of this year at at the very least and then as things Hopefully, progress with with vaccines and treatments and um, suppression of uh, the virus. Then, potentially, you know, maybe we can actually have some fun in 2021. We'll see. <laughs> I hope so. What a time to be alive! <laughs> yes, what a sir. time to be alive.
1: Uh, Vox and hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. What craft beer do you have there on your side?
0: On my side, I have uh, our friends at True Brewing yes. uh, Tunnel of Trees IPA. Uh, it's a 7.0 on the nose ABV. Uh, it is delicious. I am not a huge IPA guy, personally. I like them. I don't love them. And this is one of the more uh, like subtle, like totally crushable IPAs. It isn't a it isn't just like a hops punch in the face, which you know, fine if you're into that sort of thing, knock yourself out. But for me, like, I want to like, I like I like IPAs that are more, more like, if this makes any sense, more like beers and less like IPAs. And I feel like that this this one it really just hits the spot and true always just delivers. I mean, those guys are just they're amazing. So absolutely uh,
1: huge shout out to Zach Coleman, yeah, And uh, the rest of the uh, the true brewing crew. I love their brews so much. I haven't had enough of them, and I was hoping to come back through Denver to visit the Tap House this year, but we'll have to wait till next year. Yeah.
0: Yeah, take a rain check on that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) On my side, I'm drinking Nickelbrook Brewing Company out of uh, Ontario. They sent me this because uh, they just launched their new Metalhead Double IPA, and they thought that Vox & Hops made a sense platform for it to be showcased. Uh, This is a Double IPA. It is. I've had it before. It's a tropical, juicy, extremely Ooh. dangerous nine percent ABV <laughs> on it. Though you would never know. So let's crack these open, and you can tell me a little bit about your your beer journey.
0: All right, let's do this. All right. Um, I'm going to pour, and it's going to be, it's going to be bad because I do not. I'm not great with carbonated IPAs, but ah, eh, not too bad. Look
1: at that. With your sick glassware right there.
0: Yeah. Cheer. Oh, look at that. Yeah. I've got, I got a metal and beer fest glass. You got the box and hops. Cheers. cheers brother. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, I mean my craft beer journey, cause I think everybody's, um, how well, you know, I guess it kind of depends on your age now. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be 45. My God. In a couple weeks. And, um, Uh, I would say that for me, the craft beer didn't really come into play in my life until about 2005, 2006, um, where previous to that, I was just kind of an indiscriminate drinker. Um, and it wasn't until, um, I actually just, uh, stumbled upon, uh, a, it was a bottle um, at this bar in Philadelphia, that's no longer there. It was called eulogy. I can't believe I remember the name of that bar, but it, it was down in the old city uh, area of Philadelphia. And, um, there was this, this like, uh, this, this pottle art with this like grim reaper looking figure on the front of it. And it was called old heathen. And the name of the brewery was Wirebocker um who i you know would soon find out were from Pennsylvania also up in eastern Pennsylvania only about an hour and a half from Philadelphia and in, and only about an hour or so where i grew up from in northeast pa so uh I, gra- I i ordered this beer this old heathen and it was this like just incredibly powerful flavorful stout and to that point i think the only stout that i probably had was like guinness and you know, no disrespect to Guinness. Guinness is Guinness has got me through some times. So I, I, <laughs> I I got no ill will towards Guinness, but this was a this was just a much different experience with flavor and impact and just just the overall experience. And from that moment on, I was like, oh man, I gotta like like what's this all about? You know. And then I just started like I, I was like, I gotta try more stuff from this Wirebocker place. And my My girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, made a trip up there within a couple months to their, um, well, their brewery and tap room and distribution center was all just one place. And um, like tried a bunch more things and it was like other stouts and Belgians. And I don't think they had any sours yet. I don't think they, I don't think they did any IPAs yet. They did weird ales, barley ales, they had all this stuff. And I just like, we just got like each got a case of it. And mixed and matched. And like from there, it was just, I was, it was just on for me where I was just like, okay, this is what, this is what beer is supposed to be. So yeah, that, that, that's like 2005 or 2006. I think it was 2006 now that I think about it. Cause I distinctly remember I was out with my friend, Carl, who was a publicist at the time. And I think we were, I think he was working the sword. You, I'm sure you remember that band. And they were playing Philadelphia that night. And he was like, Oh, why don't you come out like beforehand? We'll, you know, we'll go to the bar and you could meet the band, whatever. I was like, Yeah, sure. Bud's happy to hang out or whatever. And yeah, so yeah, that would have been 2006 because I don't think the sword was a happening thing in in 2005. Just trying to remember my, just placement of my, my decibel issues and coverage in my head, how it all, uh, how that timeline goes. But yeah, I think it's 2006
1: and there's so much in common with craft beer and metal which is why i obviously have a podcast about it <laughs> <laughs> you know and the, the, the discovering those new beers finding that new band that cd that that has eluded you back in the day when you had to wait for it is the same thing with like limited releases that these breweries are doing now and you get so excited i saw your true can, and i was like fuck yeah i want that you know (laughs) the fact that i can't have it it's you it's like physically impossible unless i have a mule or someone illegally ship it to me
0: (laughs) well you know there's there's there, always there's, ways. <laughs> there's, the, uh, there's, the, there's the black market of, <laughs> of shipping.
1: <laughs> Take me back to when you were growing up, a classic Vox and Hops question. Uh, what would have been the soundtrack of your youth when you were growing up in your parents' or guardians' house? What music was playing when you were not in control of the music? What music did your parents or guardians listen to?
0: Oh, man. Well, my, I was raised um, by a single mom and she had a 1973 Camaro that she loved um, me almost as much as. <laughs> 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 and um, <laughs> she, uh, she, I just remember there was, there, there was just a cassette player in there. And my mom was one of these people who, she was not into the whole album experience She would like just like kind of concentrate on the singles, and I don't even I I'm not even necessarily sure if this was just a product of us living in a very small town and every drive just being a like five minute drive from place to place. But I swear I would hear like the same couple Billy Joel songs from Billy Joel's greatest hits. I'd hear the same the one Bonnie Tyler song with uh, uh the Turnaround Bright Eyes song, A Total Eclipse of the Heart. That's that song. Um, I mean, I would just generally hear that kind of stuff. I'd hear REO Speedwagon. It was like just a lot of like kind of classic rock and pop stuff. But, um, before that, before my mom had me, she, uh, she, she had, I think a bit of a wider taste of, of records in her collection. And I remember growing up, like flipping through her records and she had the first four black Sabbath albums. Really? Yes. And as I got older and like started to get into metal, like on my own, like by the time I was like 13, cause like these, like when we start talking about like the, these, these cassette uh, trips in the car, we're talking like, you know, anywhere from like eight to 10 years old kind of area. So by the time I start like kind of finding my own way and discovering, um, not necessarily discovering, but getting exposed to um the early commercial heavy metal things in, in the that were being uh played in the US at the time, like Def Leppard and Twisted Sister and Quiet Riot and things like that. Um and you know, uh Ozzy, I remember the uh the Randy Rhodes tribute double live album was um was a big deal to me. Because uh because I knew there was because I knew Ozzy was the guy for Black Sabbath, and I knew my mom had those Sabbath records, which she never played around me, mind you. It was like it was just like she had them when she was like bu- she had them before me and like was into that. Um and I don't even remember how she got into it. I think she saw a cover band or something and they were playing Sabbath and she was like, Oh, who's what are you guys playing? And she just went out and bought all the records immediately after that. I, I don't know what like what how I made started to make that connection, but like I I got into Sabbath through those records, and then I got into plenty of other things. Just like as as a as a young metalhead does, like you know, you start ramping up, going from the heavier things from Sabbath to to you know from from the kind of poppy Def Leppard stuff to Maiden to Metallica, and then Slayer Slayer, yeah. Um, but for me, it's like where everything changed and for me, everything changed with obituary cause of death when I, when I first heard that and got that. And that's like, because I had, I had, I had friends who were into death metal before I was, and they were more adventurous and like, like they, they, like they would have, they, they had like Beneath the Remains and Symphonies of Sickness and, I was still like, oh, I don't know about that. I'm gonna, <laughs> I just stick with this testament practice what you preach cassette. You guys go, you, you want to go into that. I'm not ready for that. But I think for me, it was like Obituary was that band that um, w- was able to uh, be that transitional band for me into something more extreme. And I don't know if it was the the fact that it was maybe it was a, little, a bit more melodic than some of the other um uh, death metal bands that were around back then but uh then this, there's just like an there was just an air about that record and I I I I know some of it had to do with the cover art and the the segue intros between songs and obviously John Tardy's insane voice like all that like kind of came together in that package it was like the first thing that just like felt felt different than all the other records which I eventually got way 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 into but it's still um, that still was like the one that really kind of set me on the path that I never. Thirty years later, I haven't I, ha- I haven't stepped off of really. So, um, yeah, I, I I think that's probably it.
1: It's it's done you well, that's for sure. Oh, uh, De- Decibel <laughs> is a huge, huge magazine, and I get excited to this day when I see it and I see my friends on it. Right now we have uh, Imperial Triumphant on the cover, and when I see my friends up there, I'm like, yes, it's become a milestone for a band. Just imagine that to to something to create something to be a part of something that is a milestone for something. Someone is very very interesting, and uh, would must feel nice.
0: It does. There's um there's something that's that it's it's happened in the last few years where there is this generation of bands that are coming out now that I am legitimately and genuinely excited about and they were people who grew up reading the magazine because this is this is year 16 of decibel this is like get getting old um, <laughs> getting getting a little, a little old um so so for me it's like it's like you know a generation is like what seven eight years so this is like become a multi-generational thing now and you've got these kids who grew up, you know, they're in their late twenties, early thirties, like, I mean, your age, like this, like these people who grew up with the magazine, like don't really remember things before the magazine. And, you know, they're either longtime subscribers or casual readers or just familiar with it. And for them, um, like the idea of, that that their bands are like now on the cover or covered in the magazine or however it is or on our tours or on our flexies whatever it is. Um, It's like they have this level of appreciation for it that I just never expected anyone to have because when I was starting this, it was all, you know, you don't, you're obviously not thinking that far down the line, but for them to have that experience and to just, for me to feel their, their, um, genuine gratitude for us recognizing them when when really we're just doing our job that's what we're supposed to do we're supposed to find good bands and cover (laughs) like you know but but for them it's like like it, it it's really meaningful and to me that's been a really really cool experience that's only you know only within the past couple of years when i think of bands like you know like imperial triumphant and gate creeper and blood incantation and, and things like that. And there's going to be, there's going to be a few more coming up in the next couple months where people are like, wow. Um, you know, I didn't think you guys would go and, and make a move and put that band on the cover already, but like, you know, fuck it. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Good for you. Good for
1: you. They're you know, the big bands have been on the cover. They're on other covers. And, and this new wave, this new generation of extreme music deserves a platform to get that visibility
0: yeah i i think it's important i think it's important that we take those chances and we because like we've backed i mean i think if you go if if you were to go and look at the body of work the 190 issues or whatever it is over 16 years you would see that like okay yeah, there's iron maiden on the cover there's metallic on the cover there's lamb of god on the cover but then there's like oh there's ghost on the cover when their first record came out or there's um jeez, I don't know. Like there's haunt on the cover now. And like, there's these, like these, these things that I guess are perceived as risks. Um, but I think that that's, I think that's important for number one, to keep, um, to stay honest and keep your readers engaged and kind of keep people guessing a little bit, but also to provide a platform for bands that these days don't have as nearly as many to choose from as they did when I was growing up, when I was growing up, or even when I started the magazine 16 years ago, you had so many more tools to develop a band to, to, to move them forward and break them. You had, you still had MTV, you still had radio. Um, you had, um, physical goods still being the, the, the biggest medium for selling music. Um, and obviously, touring. Um, and so, way, way more magazines. Yeah, way, way, tons more, tons more print
1: mag- magazines, which is something that it's, it's not not as popular as it used to be. Now, you guys are one of the New. last survivors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, nah. so like you had all these opportunities for bands, um, and if like if you're an up and coming band, like oh maybe one thing doesn't work out, but you can try something else, and oh um, you know like you have other you had other options. Well, now there's so few avenues that I feel, I don't, I don't want to say I feel like a sense of obligation, but I think it's important for us to get behind bands that otherwise don't have as many platforms to choose from. Like when, you're, when your platforms are essentially like, you know, Spotify and YouTube and social media, it's like... That's not a great formula to develop anything, and the fact that like
1: there's millions of people out there you're competing against.
0: Yeah, and and the way that the touring is structured, it takes so much longer to, to, to develop bands and for bands to go from an opening spot where they're making 150 bucks a night to even graduate to a second of four, and that development is like so protracted compared to what it was even 15 years ago so for me it's like if if we can provide an opportunity to for a band to like get a get a push forward i'm i'm all about it i think i I think it's like it's again it's what we should be doing in addition to um just um presenting a uh, snapshot of what's happening at the the moment in the the scene well congrats for that it's a
1: I hope more people go that route and just keep pushing things that they love. That's important for the scene that deserve more recognition. Um, I would like to touch on, uh, you mentioned after 16 years that you feel like it's getting old. How do you keep the magazine fresh and keep it cool for yourself and keep people intrigued in it?
0: Oh, uh- I, I I maybe I maybe I misspoke or you misunderstood. I I'm getting old. <laughs> I I'm just I'm old. I, I'm, I I started this when I was in my twenties and I'm in my mid forties, so it's um, yeah. Um, no, but the, to me the the magazine is still exciting to me every every month. Um, and I think that's just a a product of being, just genuinely being a genuinely being a fan. And the way that we kind of present things, like we have a lot of stuff where we're looking forward, but we also have a, a really clear kind of historical bent to what we what we do. So we're trying to provide um, different forms of context. It isn't necessarily like something like classic rock where it's just like, here's a whole bunch of old stuff that we're going to talk about again. Yes, Decibel is going to talk about old stuff, particularly through the Hall of Fame series, but um, we are going to, you know, keep moving forward with newer artists and people who we find engaging and trying to mix the, the, the different generations of things, because there's just so much, there's so many different styles and subgenres to cover, um, that I think it just naturally, uh, lends itself to, to, to that excitement. Like I don't, I don't feel like I have to try anything to to remain engaged, you know. And I and I, I think just like anybody else, I have days where I'm just like, you know what, I am not going through those fifteen albums in my holics today, just because I can't deal. And I'm just going to put Left Hand Path on for the next <laughs> like the next forty five minutes, and then I'm probably going to put Clandestine on, and then I'm just probably we'll see if I get past nineteen ninety one today. I don't know, like, I, and I think that like. I think that maybe that helps because I don't like, I just kind of, you just kind of let it happen. Like, yes, there is a certain um, responsibility in a certain, um, uh, I don't want to use, I don't, I don't want to necessarily suggest that it's a slog or, or, or trudge to get through some of those um, records because there is such a high volume of them. I feel like we get more stuff than we've ever got before. But, um, I think that when you have that balance of familiarity plus something new, um, I think that, that, I think that's always just helped in this, the way that we run the magazine, the way we assign the content. Um, so I think it just kind of, I think it kind of works out that way that I, that I don't really have to try, you know what I mean? As long as it's exciting for you still, and it's something that you would
1: actively want to read and be engaged with then you're winning and that means that it's still working
0: yeah i i mean i would say if anything i wish i got to spend more time just on editorial because we have over the years developed so many different things that we do that sometimes it's like i don't the magazine is always like the main engine of what runs everything but there's definitely there's definitely some days that will go by where I don't work on it at all, which to me is, seems insane. But like, when I think about everything else that we have, have to do, whether it's, you know, tours or festivals, obviously not so much right now. Um, but like books, uh, flexi series, the website, um, just general distribution stuff to handle. Like there's, there's a, uh, a steady stream of things that even if the, the magazine wasn't, a thing, it would still be, we'd still be busy, which when I started it again, like it was just the magazine and I couldn't imagine any of these other things that we, we now do. But, um, so yeah, like it's a treat, you know what I mean? To kind of, to get actually, to be able to sit down and edit and write or, um, copy edit or imagine how the, the issue is going to get assigned or come together. Like that's, that's still fun because of everything else that's going on all the time.
1: With all the people not being as engaged with hard print things, was there ever a moment you guys were afraid that you wouldn't be able to continue and that's why you had to start doing all this extra outside content?
0: Um, I mean, I will I will be honest when I say that like 2009 was like the first time during the um during the recession um that I felt like, "Oh, maybe this isn't just maybe this is eventually gonna just kind of wind down at some point i could imagine it it was the first time i could imagine it not working and again, we were only five years into it then um but um i mean even back then we um we published well we didn't publish i did a deal with um with de Capo, this uh this publisher out in new york um to do the first volume of a, of a hall of fame anthology and that was really the kind of the first big project that I worked on that wasn't just the magazine itself. And when I saw, um, when I saw the impact that it had and the excitement that it generated um, for us, for us personally and for our readers and coupled with the fact that like um, the economy was sluggish at the time, it, that's when I guess gears started turning a little bit to start developing these other revenue streams, which, have definitely helped us um, certainly through the pandemic, even with, you know, obviously live events, there's something that we started doing uh, 2011 or 12, somewhere around there. Um, So we've been doing it a a while and, and had a good flow and kind of understood where it, where it fit in with our production cycle. But when, so when those came off the table this year, Um, the other things that we, that we can do, we were able to kind of step up and move them onto the front burner, as it were like this, this hall of fame, this third hall of fame anthology that
1: hall of fame, volume three, which people can pre-order at store.decibelmagazine.com. It actually includes none so vile, which (sighs) should be there because it is, you know, I'm (laughs) slightly biased, but I, it's not my album, so I don't mind saying it. It is a, one of the most influential death metal albums that has ever been created. So <laughs> it is,
0: it is incredible. And every single time, every single time I hear it, it still just floors me. It doesn't, it does not get old. It is 24 years old and it is brand new in my mind. Um, but the, the idea that like the idea that we even published that or that, we're, or that it's, you know, it's up for pre-order right now. It'll be out in a couple weeks. Um, it wasn't on the schedule. It wasn't a book that we were going to do this year. Um, we're doing we we did one book last year. It was a Paradise Lost uh, biography, and we have one book that we originally had on the schedule this year, which will be out in November. Cool, um, which is a history of the U.S. black metal scene, which we have been working on for years, and I'm very excited about that project. That thing is going to be awesome because it's almost done. And it's like, just, I've worked with the, the author, um, who's one of our longtime contributors, a guy named Dan Lake. Like I've worked with him closely on it for years and seeing it all come together. It's just, it's, it's wild, but it's going to be great. I'm really excited about that. But the idea that that was the only book on the schedule, um, and that once the live events kind of went away, it was also like, okay, I have a little bit more time and we have a little bit less revenue. What can we do to fill in a a gap here? And then it was like, well, I hadn't planned on doing another anthology just yet, but it was like four or five years from the second one. It was like 2006 or something, I think. So it, the fact that we do different things enabled me to, to kind of plug this in. And if we hadn't started developing these things years ago, we'd have just been like, we'd have just been without, you know what I mean? so're we 're very fortunate in that we've we have developed all of these different things over a long period of time it 's awesome
1: you 're like an octopus with tentacles in different projects just <laughs> at all times, managing it all. We have to talk about uh, the metal and beer fest because i 've never played it. I've never been to it, but every year when I see it happens, I'm like, I must be there. (laughs) You're coming, you're coming, you're coming at some point. So, so tell me about how this all came together. I'm sure you've spoken about this before, but I'm very interested. I know that metal and beer to go together. How did you figure it out?
0: Well, I I guess the seeds of it really started all the way back in 2009 when we started having a craft beer column in the magazine, um, our, um, our long time contributor, Adam Tepadellin, who is now, um, one of your country mates. He is, he lives in Vancouver now. Um, he, um, he, he was a beer writer and a metal writer. And, it, it, you know, we were talking one day and, and we're just, you know riffing on content ideas and he's like you know he's like it's like like, we should do a piece on the relationship of craft beer and and heavy metal and i was like man i was like i love craft beer and (laughs) and i have seen like and you know i explained to him that that i guess we we would call an origin story for me in terms of craft beer how how it was through this artwork which to me i associated with heavy metal um so i was like you know I was like, fuck it. There's a, I was like, this could be a monthly column. Like, we could just like really go all in on this. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, man, let's do it. So we started doing it. And it was like, as we were doing it, it was like more and more like metal themed breweries were like popping up years later. And a lot of that had to, had to do with the, um, just the laws in the states regarding like craft breweries and, and, and things like that. They had been, even for the first few years of the column, they were really, they were really stringent and things didn't really start opening up. I would say probably till about 2012, 2013 for, for that stuff in this country.
1: Those are all laws that were like created right after prohibition. So pretty much it's true. <laughs> up, up, here, up here in <laughs> Quebec, uh, we're, we're still being strangled by them and it's, it's crazy. It's been almost a hundred years that we're still dancing around the same laws.
0: Yeah. You guys, you know, you here in Virginia where I live, it was, it was like that. Like I said, up until about 2013, 2014, but there's a brewery in Virginia who you may have heard of called Hardywood, who who are Oh, they're so good. They're, they're so <laughs> fantastic. Um uh, and the one of the owners um was a lawyer and he he started working with the um R- Richmond is the capital of Virginia. He started working with um lawmakers out there to just like kind of get the laws changed. So they weren't so prohibitive for for craft breweries to, to to exist and thrive. And since then, it's there's been like this, obviously, this craft boom. Um, I get a little sidetracked, I'm sorry, on, on a tangent. But it, I'll bring it all back um, to where I would say around that time, you know, like around 2013 or so, as I saw the craft breweries popping up, and more and more with kind of metal associations, obviously Three Floyds was around. Surly was around when Todd Hogg was still there. Um, True was, was just getting rolling around then. Uh, Hammerheart was getting rolling around then. You had these like kind of core breweries of this a- aesthetic. And I was just like, there's gotta be a way to do this metal and beer event. Like just do a festival where we'd have these, these metal specific craft breweries and bands that we would curate that we feel are either under the umbrella of Decibel and, or have um, craft beer fans or some kind of beer connotations within the groups. And just kind of like, it was really like, everything was really like to me clear how it fit together, but you know, I didn't really have experience at that time putting on events. And to me, something like this had so many moving parts that, I was concerned about getting it together. Um, and also we were a small staff and I was just like, I'll, like, I don't know how to do this. I don't have the time to do this, but I know this is a good idea. So we started talking to an agency um, that, uh, th- th- they were the people who like basically booked the Bonnaroo festival. And they were like, they were all in on the idea. And we started talking, we got pretty far down Um, the path of, of a business relationship with it. But then um, it was getting clear to us that it was like, wow, like they, they, they were going to own way too much of it to the point where we just weren't comfortable with it. And I was just, so we pulled back and it just kind of got shelved until about 2016, because I knew it was, I knew it was a good idea, you know, but and I was always afraid that somebody else was going to come along and do it. It was like, how does this not happen? Like, who's? Why does anybody see this? This is so fucking obvious. So, um, I, we ended up hiring a, a marketing person, and she was a craft beer fan. And I was like, I want to do this. Can we figure this out? And she was like, Fuck yeah, we can figure this out. So we started because she had she had a background in event planning, and I had no background in event planning, but. You know, I had a background in um, being friends with a bunch of bands. <laughs> so I started just like reaching out to my my friends and bands and like, I'm gonna book this. Do you wanna play this? Do you wanna play this? Do you wanna play this? And they're like, Yeah, fuck yeah. And I had been talking to those craft breweries that I had mentioned before about this event for years. I'm like, I want to do this. I was giving them updates of like, hey, we have this far down the road, and then it fell apart. And then it then once we started getting it back on they were the whole time they were just like, yeah, this has to happen. This has to happen. And once I like, once it was on we had a venue and we had some bands um, and we had headliners and then I reached out to all the breweries and they were like, Oh my God, yes, finally, this is going to happen. And that was, that was um, summer ish of 2016. And then we announced it sometime like September, October of 2016. And the first one was in, Um, April of 2017 in Philadelphia. Uh, and then we did another one in April, 2018 in Philly. And then we added LA, um, in 2018. And that was late in the year, December, November, December, I think. Um, and then, yeah, that was, we have been up until obviously when everything kind of got shut down this year, we have been doing LA and Philadelphia, um, one in the spring and one in the winter. Uh, each year since since 2018
1: and i've heard that they're just fucking amazing everyone that i know that has been there just are all about it they love it to death it's uh just the perfect perfect combination
0: it's it's fun man It it's there is a there is there is a great vibe um and what i would say is that like the fu- the funny thing is is that originally The original venue that was supposed to host the first one in Philly, and I'll give a shout out right now to the Philly Fillmore who has hosted uh, all three of them that we have completed and the fourth one that we'll be doing next year there that was supposed to happen this year that we've kicked over. They have been, they're, they're an incredible room with incredible people, great hosts. They completely get the event. They love the event. It like makes perfect sense. The other venue that was supposed to hold it is a actually a really cool venue in Philly, an independent venue that we were friends with. but um, they started to get cold feet like we booked it there we were we were a week away from announcing it, and they started to get this cold feet about the beer component, and they started to pull back on things and it went from it went from like a metal and beer fest to basically a metal and beer tasting event. And I was just like, Ooh, you're going to give people tickets and you're going to expect them to just try one thing and like cut them off. I was like, no, that's not going to work for metal. No, because, <laughs> because he, and, and the reason they got, the reason they got spooked was they, when, when they opened their venue, they did a beer fest there without a music component, but it was like this, like kind of like bro beer fest and fights broke out oh, yeah. and it was just this big it was this big shit show whereas like and i knew the kind of people that we were going to have i knew the craft beer fans and i knew the metal fans and i knew how passionate and nerdy everybody was about each thing and how it was going to work together and dude in i mean we've we've done 5 fests and i think we i think maybe in the 5 fest there had to be like Eight people thrown out over a course of five fests,
1: which is which is like any show, right?
0: Yeah, like nobody get it doesn't get out of hand. Everybody's cool and everybody's just happy. There's just like this vibe. You've never seen so many smiling metalheads in one place (laughs) when you go to metal and beer fest. Everybody's just in a happy place.
1: (laughs) Um, The way that Maryland has thrown their fest around the globe is that something that you would aspire to do with Metal and Beer Fest? Man, I
0: those dude, Evan and Ryan, man, those guys are incredible and I don't know how they keep pulling those things off all over the place. Um I've been going to Metal uh or Maryland Death Fest since like 2008 or something and man, was it weird to not be there this this Memorial Day. But I don't know if I have it in me to i mean we've been approached to to add metal and beer fest in other markets in the u.s and i have not moved on it because i feel like we're at maximum capacity um (laughs) the octopus is full yeah yeah it's like there's there's eight i don't it's you know uh, i i i i can't uh i don't know how we work unless we started hiring more people but I don't want it to get too unwieldy. You know, like those guys, what they're doing, they can handle it and that's what they do. Um, you know, what I do still is the magazine first before everything else. Um, so I don't, and I, and I don't want to to get to the point where there's one in every city and it gets maybe a little less special and, and you know, like it, it works. And I mean, I could, I under the right circumstances, I could imagine, Adding another one somewhere, Um, but uh, it's really been it's really just been a capacity issue that's prevented us from doing it, and and yeah, I I don't know, man. I like I don't I I try to to just kind of pace ourselves with that stuff. If it's if it if it does happen, it'll happen in a very organic matter and it'll make sense. But it's not something where. I look at it and and I'm like looking at a map and like, all right, let's put one here, let's put one here. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not like that at all. Like, like LA was the big experiment in, in, in a lot of ways. And, and that worked and um you know, you, you just want to be careful, you know, because that's the other thing to us. Like, like if we fuck it up, the, the brand and so much is attached to it, where you really just want to be certain of everything. You don't, you know, you don't want to be risk averse, but you just want to like, Be certain of what you're doing and, and, and and be 100% in on it. And like, that's, I think that's why we've been successful is that all these things that we're doing is because we really want to do them because we're excited about them. And I just don't want it to get, I don't want it to get to the point where it's a chore. You know what I mean?
1: Exactly. Just like the magazine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You got to do it for, for, for imagining yourself as the fan. Right. One last question. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is your hangover cure?
0: Huh? Hangover. My hangover cure is to not get any hangovers anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we try that. We, we, that's what we say when we wake up, but
0: <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> well, I got to say that it's really hard for me to get it. If the only time I have a hangover anymore is maybe at Metal and Beer Fest, um, in which case I have to just like get into work the next day um and like figure some stuff out cuz it's like i mean there's a little bit of sampling going on during the event but there's like you'll never find me drunk or anything during a metal and beer fest no, no, you can't. that so wouldn't you gotta, work no no but like afterwards like to decompress yeah i'll have a few drinks for sure after we get out of there for one of the nights um but for me like i am my whole thing was I do I, I generally don't even get to touch a beer until like this time like nine o'clock and on at night when the kids are asleep when I can kind of like wind down and focus a bit and I really it's like I just have one beer I try to make it I try to make it a higher ABV so it counts and <laughs> it's kind of I, I get on the express lane to um to where I'm going because I you know, I, I don't have the hours to sit around and like. Oh, this is a, a, no table beer. No, 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 no. This is, uh, <laughs> this is, this is going to be a high gravity experience. Um, so I don't, I generally, I'm not hung over. So when I do, it's just like, Oh, I got work to do. So it's just like, poof, like you get for me, like, like, like I said, it, when it, when I'm hung, it, those, those rare times when I'm hung over, it's like a night after a metal and beer fest where I have work the next day. And then the adrenaline of, Show day and and moving forward with all that stuff, it's just like you just forget. So that's all I have. That and throwing up, I guess. Beer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely happens. Although I can't, I can't remember the last time I threw up. <laughs> Albert, thank you so so much. I really really appreciate it. Everyone, go pre order the Hall of Fame Volume Three. It's a fucking great thing, and you know there's none so violent.
0: It's so so I have to keep telling you to get it. <laughs> It's worth it for the Lord Worm quotes alone, I assure you. They are hilarious. He's amazing. He's (laughs) amazing. They're a riot.
1: (laughs) Albert, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Cheers.
0: Cheers, man. Thank you so much, Matt. This was awesome.
1: Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Super cool to sit down with someone in charge of something that you hold very dear to your heart. I remember being a a young metalhead and flipping through the Decibel magazine And just uh, trying to get as much metal information into me as possible. So it's very, very cool to have a chance to uh, sit down with Albert and pick his brain. Much love and respect and a long life to Decibel magazine. This coming Thursday is another Vox and Hops Thirsty Thursday Virtual Hang. I love these. My co-host this week is none other than Aaron K. Homa of Caliterous and Annihilator. Uh, I had Aaron on the podcast a long, long time ago, and it's going to be great to be with him. If you've ever partied with Aaron, you know that you are in for a good time. He is an amazing human, excellent guitarist, and super fun to party with. So you should check it out. The link is available in the description of this podcast. Join the Thirsty Thursday virtual hang. It starts at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Times. As usual, we're going to hang out. We're going to talk about life, metal, and craft beer. And there even might just be a contest for the first time on this the Thirsty Thursday. So you should do that and uh, join us if you want to win something cool. I hope you guys have a great rest of the week. I have one more episode coming at you this Friday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Fox and Hopsheads. <laughs> Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder, Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to No But The Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!